0: Good morning. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. And we will finish the first chapter of James today. My wife just reminded me that we started this series uh, through James on June 4th. So. Um. James chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21 through the end of the chapter. I know we uh, went over verses 21 and 22 last week, but I'm going to read them as part of our text today to finish out James chapter 1. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, lead us and guide us, teach us today, illuminate your word, that it would be renewing to our minds and transforming to our lives, that we would be salt and light, that we would be salty and very bright in this world filled with darkness. That your name would be glorified. And those who are in darkness, separated from you by their sin. Father, that you would grant grace, and shine a light in their heart. That they would also come to know the Savior. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 27, just to summarize quickly what we just read. There's some things that we need to kind of pay attention to as we read this. For instance, we're to lay aside, remember that meant to put off, like taking this jacket off. We're to lay aside, we're to put off sin, and we're to receive with meekness... Remember, that word meekness means in submission to God. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Then James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. So it's not one or the other. It's not we're either doers or hearers. We have to be hearers. But we're not to be hearers who do not become doers. So be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves and forgetting what kind of man the mirror revealed you are. So the mirror James talks about here is the word of God. The word of God is the mirror in the temple, and the tabernacle, the labor of water was that polished uh, piece of, Metal, that giant laver, that bowl, and when the priest would look into it, they would see their reflection. It was symbolic of the Word of God. It's what the Word of God does. When we look into the Word of God, it reveals who we truly are. So we're to look into the perfect law of liberty, the gospel Word, and continue in it. We're not to be hearers only, we're to be doers. We're to continue in that Word, not as a forgetful hearer, but as a doer of the work. So doers of the word and doers of the work. And then James says, and so that man will be blessed. And so we will be blessed in what we do. If you think you are religious, and I want to point out, and I'll point this out again, because the word religious and the word religion in our Modern culture has become a derogatory uh, term even among Christians. But this word religious is not a derogatory term to James. He says, if you think you are religious, but you do not bridle your tongue, your religion is useless. Then he goes on and he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father... Basically, what he says, it gets its hands and its feet and its whole self involved in the lives of others, not in a bad way, but in a gospel way, involved in the troubled lives. He uses this word troubled here of those around us while remaining unspotted from the world. So let's go through these verses and finish out James chapter 1 here. James 1, 21 and 22, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So as we lay aside our sin and receive with meekness the implanted word, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 22 gives us the emphasis here. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You cannot do sin and do the word at the same time. To think so is to deceive yourself. Actually, it is to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We are not only to be hearing what the word is commanding us to do, but we are to actually be doing what it commands. We hear the command to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, put off our old man, put off our sin, and receive with meekness the implanted word, we hear that, and then we are to actually do what we hear the word commanding us. We receive with meekness the implanted word, and we purpose to be doers of what we hear the word command. Then in verses 23 and 24, James writes For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Observing his natural face in a mirror. There is a contrast here between the one who is a hearer of the word only and the one who is a hearer and also a doer of the word. I want to point out that both are hearing the word. Both are observing their natural face in a mirror. That's literally what that says. That natural face, it literally says the face you were born with. So the thought here is that when we look into the mirror, when we look into the Word, the facade is removed. The Word reveals who we truly are. Now, we can be forgetful hearers only, and we can choose to not apply the word and become doers. But that's not what we are to do and that's not who we are to be. And there's a reason why the mirror reveals who we truly are. So if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face. Literally, he's observing the face he was born with. The mirror he looks into is the Word of God, and he observes who he is in light of the Word. This is why we encourage you weekly to read your Bible, to read the Word of God, because as you read the Word of God, it is revealing who you are. As you read the Word of God, as you wash your mind with the water of the Word, your mind is being renewed. Your eyes are being opened. You're able to see more clearly as you look into that mirror. James writes, he observes himself. The word used here to describe the man who observes himself is a word that implies a careful consideration. In other words, he attentively considers himself as he observes himself. Meaning the man James describes who observes his natural face in a mirror is not just carelessly glancing at himself before he goes away and forgets. It is not simply haste that makes him forget what kind of man he was. What makes him forget is the fact that he does not continue in it. He does not continue in The Word. It's not good enough to say, well, I've read the Bible. No, are you reading the Bible? And are you reading it every day? Well, I've already read it. Why do I need to read it again? Well, that should give us the answer. If you don't know why you should read the Bible every day, my encouragement to you is begin reading the Bible every day. And keep reading it. And keep reading it. And keep reading it. it. And as you keep reading it, you'll come to fully understand why you are to read it every day. James Wright, he observes himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He intently observes his true self revealed in the mirror or revealed in the word of God. But he does not continue observing himself in the mirror of the word, thereby being transformed. So there's a man who looks, he looks intently, he's observing himself carefully, but then he goes away and he forgets the man he observed in the mirror. That man will not be transformed. He goes away, he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He forgets what he intently observed. He forgets what the word revealed about himself. He heard and considered who he was in light of the word, but he did not act upon it to become a doer of the word. He did not continue in it. Therefore, he immediately forgot what kind of man he was. The word of God is our mirror that reveals who we are. It reveals our true self, the face we were born with the face that needs to be born again, the face that needs to be continually conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about how often you look in a mirror every day. You get ready to go somewhere, you look in the mirror to make sure everything's where it's supposed to be. You know, some of you aren't blessed like me. I never have to look in the mirror and wonder if my hair's out of place. But think about how many times we look in the mirror to make sure that we're ready for whatever it is we're getting ready to go do. What if we looked into the mirror of God's Word as often as we looked in a a glass mirror? What if we saw our reflection in the mirror of God's Word as often as we saw our reflection in the mirror's Hanging in our homes What if we were as concerned about how we looked in the mirror of God's word as we are in our bathroom mirrors, our bedroom mirrors, or our hall, hall mirrors or wherever you have mirrors? Second Corinthians 3:17 through18. Paul writes. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are to continue beholding as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord so that we are continuously being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. As we continue our gaze into the mirror of God's word, we will be more, we will more clearly behold the glory of the Lord. Where is that glory to be seen? Who do you see when you look in a mirror? You see yourself. When you look into the mirror of God's word, who are you to see? You are to see Christ. And so the idea here is that the glory you are to see, the glory of the Lord you are to see when you look in the mirror of God's word is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you look into the mirror of God's word, do you see Christ in you? And, of course, we know that we are all failed, fallen creatures. And none of us are perfect image bearers of Christ's glory. But what Paul teaches us, what James is, is telling us to do here, what James is writing about is that we are to not be men who look into the mirror of God's word and then go away and forget who we were but that we continue looking into that mirror. And as we continue looking into that mirror, Paul writes that we will be transformed into that same image of glory. The glory of Christ who is in you. This is the transformation that takes place as we read God's Word, study God's Word, pray God's Word, meditate on God's Word, find ourselves and immerse ourselves in God's Word. We are to continue beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord so that we are continuously being transformed into His image. If we do not continue in the Word, we will forget what kind of men we were. We will forget that we are men in need of a Savior, We must remember our need for his grace and the redemption found only in Jesus Christ and the cleansing power of his blood. Therefore, we must never forget what kind of man we were. And we must always remember who we are now by God's grace in Jesus Christ. James 1.25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. But he who looks into, the word translated looks in verse 25 is a different word than the word, than the word translated beholds in verse 23 and 24. They are different words, but they are not conveying different messages. In other words, they're different words that are conveying the same message or the same meaning. They both convey the reality of considering and looking attentively. That means James is not indicating two different styles of looking that produce two different results. Well, one became a doer of the word because he looked more intently. No, that's not what James is saying here. They're both looking intently, but one becomes a doer and one walks away and forgets who he was. What's the difference? The emphasis is not in the manner of how one is looking, but on the duty of continuing or persevering in the observance of the law, the law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. This word translated look is the same word used in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12 that indicates how the angels desire to look into the mystery of the gospel. It's also the same word used in the gospels when it records that Peter stooped down to look and go into the tomb to examine the empty tomb. Therefore, he who looks into is he who looks beyond the surface. His look penetrates into in order to consider the very essence of the word he hears. This is what a doer of the word and not a hearer only does. The difference is he does that and he continues to do that. He looks into beyond the surface and then continues in it. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, what are we looking into? What is James telling us to look into? He's telling us to look into and to continue in the perfect law of liberty. It's called the perfect law of liberty because it is a law producing freedom from the servitude of sinful passions and lusts. Don't justify your sin. Don't look into the Word of God. Don't look in the mirror and then justify your sin. Have the courage to call it what it is and deal with it. The perfect law of liberty is not just the moral code of the Old Covenant Mosaic law, but it is the perfect law of liberty proclaimed and made known in the gospel of Christ. The Mosaic law had no power to deliver you from sin. It could only magnify your sinfulness and ultimately point you to the one who would and could deliver you. This perfect law of liberty is the law of the spirit of life in Christ that sets us free from the law of sin and death. The perfect law of liberty delivers us from the law of sin and death that is working in our flesh to enslave us. To our fallen nature. and Then James writes and continues in it. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. It's not only looking attentively into the perfect law of liberty, but it's continuing in it. Remember the difference James is pointing out in these verses is not the manner of how we look into the word but whether we continue in the word. As we look attentively into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it, the power of the gospel of Christ is the truth that sets us free. This is so because it rests on the finished work of Christ. It's not your work. It's not your good work, your hard effort. It is the finished work of Christ that this rests upon Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8.32 The truth of the finished work of Christ is the foundation of the perfect law of liberty we are to look attentively into and continue in. We must not be a hearer who forgets, but a doer of the work. A hearer that forgets will not be a doer of the word, And the doer of the word is marked as a doer of the work. He is one who does the work. He doesn't just read about the work. He doesn't just hear about the work. He doesn't just think about the work. He actually does the work. He's not a mere listener or talker, but a doer. This is the living faith James will reference later in his Letter when he talks about faith that is dead. Talk talk to me about your faith. I'm going to show you my faith. Faith without works is dead. James is talking here about living faith. Faith that doesn't just hear, but faith that actually does the work. This one, he writes, will be blessed in what he does. This doer who works will be blessed in what he does. Here's another beatitude similar to the one in James 1.12, which promises blessedness to the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Here we see the promise of blessedness given to the one who is a doer of the work of God in obedience to the word of God. The one who does the work will be blessed in what he does. James gives a clear link to the blessing promised by God in relation to a man's obedience to God. He is blessed because he continues in the perfect law of freedom. He is blessed because he is no longer ensnared by the law of sin and death. He is blessed because he is not a hearer only who forgets, but a doer of the word who is a doer of the work. A doer who works. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That is a promise for us today, not just those that James was writing to 2,000 years ago. It's our promise today. Look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it and know that God promises you will be blessed as a result. Do not be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. If you do this, you will be blessed in what you do. That is God's promise. Then verse 26, James 1:26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, you don't have to answer the question. But I want you to think about what your answer would be. If someone walked up to you and said, are you religious? What would be your instinct to say to them? I would Be willing to venture that for many people, your instinct would be to say, oh, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not religious. I want you to understand James is not talking about two different things here. He's not talking about being religious and you not having a relationship with Jesus. He's talking about you having a relationship with Jesus, and actually being properly religious. Don't be afraid of that word. Don't let the culture define how you read the Bible. You let the Bible teach you how to hold these words and these concepts in their proper place. Don't let the world do that for you. Go to the Word and let the Word teach you how to properly understand what it means to be religious and have a true, pure, undefiled religion. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, James is not speaking derogatory about being religious. Religion and being religious in our modern context is often seen as a derogatory, in a derogatory light, even among Christians. Christians. For James, being religious was not a negative, unless one was false and, hypocrit- and hypocritical in his religion, thus making it useless. That's what James says it becomes. The one who thinks he is religious is one who thinks he is devout devoted. Pra- uh, I'm sorry. The one who thinks he is religious is one who thinks he is devoted to proper expression of religious beliefs and practices. Nothing wrong with that. To believe that you are devoted to a proper expression of religious beliefs and practices, just make sure that you really are. For example, being religious in the form of external observances of public worship with its religious ceremony and practices, that was common and expected in the church that James is addressing This wasn't a weird thing. He wasn't trying to use language that that was going to be confusing to them. It is to be our joyful habit, for example, and our reasonable act of worship to be a part of public worship by assembling with the body each and every week. God commands it. You should not, however, think that your regular attending saves you because it does not. Jesus saves you. If Jesus has indeed saved you though, you should be gathering with his body to worship him each week as part of the proper expression of your religious belief. That proper expression must go beyond our weekly gathering and also apply to our inner life and our outer witness. So your proper expression of religious belief has got to go beyond this gathering here. It's got to translate into what's happening in your heart and what's coming out of your fingers and your mouth and your toes. Anyone among you who thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. James is not promoting useless religion here. He's telling us how to make our religion useful. It's not only about the external observance associated with being religious, but the necessary internal control that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. If we are not seeking to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit, one's religion is useless. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, when Paul says that be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, he's using a metaphor there that everyone could and can today understand. When you're drunk with wine, what's controlling you? It's the wine controlling you. It's the alcohol controlling you. James says, don't be controlled by alcohol. But just like a man who is controlled control by wine or alcohol, be controlled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you. This is the way we are commanded to walk and commanded to live. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there is not just an external observance, but there is a necessary internal control that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And if we're not seeking to walk under that control of the Spirit, then our religion is useless. Here in verse 26, James is reiterating a point made in verse 19. Remember in James Chapter 1, verse 19, he writes, We are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. By using the metaphor of bridling the tongue, and that's only used here in, in James's letter. By using this metaphor of bridling the tongue the way we would bridle a horse to control him, he uses this metaphor as an example of self-control. In James one twenty six, James is showing the importance of the Spirit's fruit in the life of the believer. The last characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, is self-control. Self-control. That's a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. James says if you don't have enough self-control to bridle your tongue, your religion is useless. James indicates that a mark of proper religion is the willingness to bridle one's tongue, which is to say our willingness to live under the Spirit's control. Psalm 39.1 I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. We will see later in this letter that James... "...fleshes out this idea of the tongue being an indicator of not only one's religion, but of spiritual maturity. For now we know that James indicates the inability or the unwillingness to bridle the tongue makes one's religion useless. The one who does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. This one is lacking the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit." Self-control is the characteristic of the Spirit's fruit that is needed to bridle the tongue. All those other characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all of those are also needed to bridle the tongue. We have a saying we teach our kids at Koinonia. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? It may be true, it may be kind, or it may be true, it may be necessary, but is it kind? It can be true, it can be necessary. Is that right? Do I have that right? Is it true, is it is it kind? Is it true, is it necessary, is it kind? Or is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? It may be true and kind, but is it necessary? How do we know? Whether what is true and what is even Kind may be necessary to say. Well, wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? We get it from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will help you discern those things. That's the wisdom we need, the wisdom that comes from God's Word. If we find that we're struggling in this area of our life, we need to go to the Word. We need to seek repentance. We need to renew our mind and take our thoughts and our tongue captive. We need to no longer be conformed to the world. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to continue in this way. We need to continue in the Word until we see the fruit of the Spirit governing our lives and not the works of our flesh. If the works of your flesh are governing your life, then it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the Spirit controlling you, it's your flesh. Get control of your flesh. Crucify it and then begin to wash it with the water of the Word, and you will find that you begin to live under the control of the Spirit. If the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not governing our life as indicated by a tongue that will not be bridled, then our religion is useless. On the other hand, if we are walking under the control of the Holy Spirit, as indicated by the fruit of the Spirit governing our life, our religion is not only very useful, it is glorifying to God. James one twenty seven, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. James says, let me tell you what it is. Now, we need to pause here for a minute and make sure that we are not misunderstanding what James is intending here. We need to be careful that we do not misunderstand what James is intending in this verse. He is not summarizing all that true worship of God should involve. He is reminding us that religion without these things, he mentions, is nothing. James is not riding against religious ritual per se, but he is against religious ritual that goes no farther than the outward show and mere words. Again, we're reminded of his exhortation to be doers of the word and doers of the work and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Our religion must therefore come out of our mouths. It must come out of our hands. It must come out of our feet. In other words, pure and undefiled religion does something. It makes a difference. It makes a difference because because God honors it as it honors him and as it honors his people. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James says this is pure and undefiled religion. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I want to reiterate again that James is not summarizing everything that pure and undefiled religion should involve. You do know that besides visiting orphans and widows, your pure and undefiled religion involves vastly much more. Don't Reduce this down and say, well, you know, I go to Shepherd's Heart every week and serve the poor. I don't need to go to church. In fact, I got a scripture verse for you that proves if I'm taking care of widows and orphans and the poor, I don't need to go to church. You would be misreading the scripture and you would be deceiving yourselves, and you would... Be in danger. Don't do that. He's not saying that you are good if you just visit widows and orphans or minister regularly at our food pantry. He's saying that you are not obeying God's word and you're not reaching out and touching those around you, even those among us most vulnerable if you just come here and say, I'm good, or if you just go there and say, I'm good. Neither one of those is correct. It's not good to just do one or the other. It's not good enough. It's, that's not pure and undefiled religion. That's not good, and you need to reexamine your religion because it may be useless, James says. And if we have ever lived in a time, in our lifetimes, when we need useful religion, it is today. We don't need a bunch of useless religion. That's what the world thinks your faith has become. That's what the world thinks the Bible has become, a useless religious relic that is not relevant to anything in our world any longer. That's what the world thinks. Don't fall into that dangerous thinking. We're not the first generation that thought that, and we will not be the last generation to think that. Because man is born every generation into sin, and guess what man has to do? He has to be born again out of his sin and by the Spirit and become a new creation and have his mind renewed to the Word of God and be transformed into the very image of Christ so that he can see now with eyes that can see and hear now with ears that can hear and not just hear but now become a doer of the Word and a doer of the work and so see his world, maybe his city, maybe his family, transformed around him. Pure and undefiled religion, in other words, it visits, James says. In other words, it leaves the four walls. It goes out into the world, not to be conformed to the world, but to make a difference in the world, to be salt and light and leaven. Pure and undefiled religion touches people in this world where they are in their pain, in their suffering, and in their trouble. Widows and orphans in their trouble. James mentions these two most vulnerable class of people in his day. There were no two classes of people more vulnerable than widows and orphans. And he mentions these two class of people as an example of who and what we are to be doing in our pure and undefiled religious service to God. He is obviously not limiting us to, our narrow, to this narrow band of people, but they typify who we are called to serve. These are not the only two types of people which we minister to, but we are called to minister to all people in every place. In their trouble. And if someone is living in their sin and in their death and they exist apart from Jesus, whether they realize it or not, they are in trouble. They might be the happiest campers you ever met, but without Jesus, they don't realize how much trouble they're in. But you Christians should realize that. Thus, you should leave the four walls of this building to go out into the world and find those in trouble and deliver them from trouble through the good news of the gospel. They represent the reality that God calls us to go out among those in the world, even into the most uncomfortable of situations. Pure and undefiled religion will send us into the world and it will send us into trouble. Pure and undefiled religion will also keep us unspotted from the world. This is Paul's admonition in Romans 12 2. be no longer conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Pure and undefiled religion goes out into the world to make a difference. And part of that difference is that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world, thus remaining Different and separate from those who are characterized as being of this world. Therefore, pure and undefiled religion is what we do, but it's also what we do not do. Pure and undefiled religion is who we are, but it's also who we are not. Pure and undefiled religion will clearly show a difference between those who have been transformed by it and those who remain spotted by the world. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand to receive your charge. God charges you to lay aside the old man with its sin and to receive with meekness the implanted work, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. God charges you to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hear the word and then do what you hear the word command. Be a hearer and be a doer. God charges you to look into the mirror of His Word and allow His Word to reveal your true face. And do not forget, for we all need redemption in Christ. God charges you to not only look into the perfect law of liberty, but to continue in it. Remember what you hear in His Word and then be a doer of the work. Know that if you do this, you will be blessed in what you do. God charges you in all your religious zeal to bridle your tongue, to live under the Spirit's control. And if you do not, you deceive your own heart and your religion is useless. Don't live with useless religion. God charges you to know that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father resides in, but also leaves the building to go out and touch the people in their trouble. It keeps you unspotted from the world, even though it sends you out into the world to be different and to make a difference. God has charged you to pray and to work and to believe that you will see His kingdom come his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise, Praise God, God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him our creatures here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.